You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. The other night, I dreamt of knives, Continental Drift Divide, Mountain Sit in a Line, Leonard Bornstein, Renee and Jay Valentine, Kevin Hall and Jesse White, Birthday Party Cheesecake, Jelly Bean Boom, You Symbiotic Patriotic Slam Book Neck, right? Right. It's the beginning of the show as we know it, and it goes out to them, but not Leonard Bernstein, the other guys. You, you, you know the drill. Let's, let's go. We'll move on. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm so tired. And I'm Stephen. And you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast pop culture and comic fans. In this issue... God, in his infinite wisdom, did not make me very wise. So when my actions are stupid, they hardly take him by surprise. I quote Langston Hughes because nothing rhymes with forgot to write and open. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Hey everyone, welcome to issue 388 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Glad that you are with us. Yes, it is. You're going to see some serious... Wait, later in the show, we'll be talking about Wapsy Square, and there is some very serious kind of intense storytelling <sighs> going on in a webcomic, and we'll talk more about Marty, that Marty, a little bit later in the show. Ladies, but first, let's get to some news. A couple of news stories that are interesting uh, this week. Of course, there's a lot of news stories over at Majorspoilers.com. Uh, we get our first full look at Batman and Robin of Earth 2, Order of the Stick and Atomic Robo, easily match their Kickstarter campaigns. Darth Maul returns this week and next. And did anybody see Ghost Rider? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Spin that wheel of destiny and let's see where we land. Anatomic Robo? Yes. (laughs) That's a different robot entirely. Stops right there on Order of the Stick and Atomic Robo, both hitting their Kickstarter campaigns. Probably the biggest success. I don't know if it's the biggest success story, but certainly Order of the Stick, a, uh, a webcomic that we've reviewed before on the Major Spoilers uh, podcast, takes a look, a uh, kind of a funny look at uh, role playing, MMORPGs, and all of that fun stuff. Well, it's fantasy. It's, it's kind of a, yeah, it's an adventure slash fantasy slash adventure fantasy and the mediums slash they fall into. Fantasy, there. yes. Uh, uh, Rich Berlou, who is the creator of that, originally wanted to raise a goal of $57,000 and some change so he could reprint uh, the very first 
um, trade paperback, trade paperback collection. He needed $57,000 and he created a bunch of incentives for people to jump on board. Apparently, Rodrigo, so many people want this thing to happen, including all of the other trade paperback volumes, that Rich has made over $1 million mm-hmm. in the time that this was uh, was announced. In less than 30 days, over $1.2 million. Wow. What are your thoughts there, it's, Mr. Rodrigo? It's one of those things that it's surprising because of the amount, but it's not surprising judging from the quality of the work and the um, loyalty of richest fans mm-hmm. because people who are into Order of the Stick are way into Order of the Stick. I, I would not be surprised to find that some of my friends who have all those trade paperbacks already and got them when they first came out um, probably actually put money into the Kickstarter campaign either to get the swag that you get out of the deal or just to help out, you know, somebody they consider well, to be a great Just at the author. minimum, at the minimum, you got a Roy uh, Greenhilt uh, refrigerator magnet. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you got anything else. Oh, you got a, a digital PDF of the original Order of the Stick story. Uh, the mm-hmm. highest pledge that you could go now of the people that pledged the uh, ten dollars, uh, over two thousand people backed that. When you go all the way to the extreme end, they had a pledge of five thousand dollars or more, where you get your original D and D character based on your descriptions within reason. Gets a walk on cameo in the Order of the Stick webcomic sometime this year. One backer. Uh, did that. Nice. There was only one um, one option for people to sign up for that. Yeah. Uh, for four thousand dollars, be eating ramen for the rest <laughs> of his life. Uh-huh. You know, they had a four thousand twelve hundred seven fifty. All of these, I don't think a single one of these had zero back uh, backers in any of these. And he's got, I don't know, thirty different uh, swag Levels. amounts. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty cool. Uh, to, to reach that, nice. that huge amount. And you're right, Rodrigo, there's probably a lot of people who already have these trades who just want to support the, the webcomic. I mean, a lot of people buy the, buy the t-shirts or buy the other merchandise that they have over there, uh, but they just want to see it continue. And, and that's kind of what we do with our uh, donations that people do. And a lot of people just want to see shows like Critical Hit or the Major Spoilers podcast continue. And they are more than happy to pledge. Same way with Atomic Robo. Atomic Robo has been that one small little comic that uh, I've been a huge supporter of since it first uh, came out a couple of years ago. Won't stop talking about it. And uh, another company... Literally won't. No, I won't (laughs) stop talking about it. Uh, Another company, and I forget who their name is. I think it's Ifoitoy or something like that. I forget what their actual... What the full group is. Is that even a word? Uh, it's It's their company name. But they have been doing a little animated short film based on the uh, on the series. I don't know how closely um, Brian Clevenger, the writer, and Scott Wegner, the the artist, are involved in this short story. I know that Wegner has been pitching this. I'm sorry, it's, uh, the group is called the Fictory. I had my INF and all that those other words messed up. Uh, they have been working on this animated short film for I want to say about a year now. And mm-hmm. they're just to the point where they need to get over that last hump. And they said, hey, we need $12,000 in order to make this a reality and get it out to people. And they started their, I want to say they started their campaign earlier this week, like Monday morning. And they only needed $12,000. Uh, 
And already today, with 43 more days left to go on this campaign, they've already raised over $28,000, almost $29,000 with 465 backers, major spoilers being one of those. Um, And so, um, you know, I really think we've talked about Kickstarter before. I'm still thinking Kickstarter is a way for some of these smaller publishers, ones that can't afford huge print run costs up front and who may not want to go to digital, but may want to offer a trade collection or something to their, uh, to their readers. I think Kickstarter is still the way to go. Uh-huh. Matthew, any thoughts on either one of these projects? Well, I think it's nice to see people supporting the stories that they enjoy. And here's the most important bit about this. And I want to make this clear. I don't want to shoot anybody in the foot, but both Rich Berlou and the creators behind Atomic Robo are really good at their job. Rich Berlou would not be doing what he did if it was, you know, D&D 3.5 jokes every week. Right. It is a sprawling, expertly written, wonderful narrative. A couple of weeks ago, there was an episode where it's the main villain. It's Red Cloak, and it's all Red Cloak's day. And we get to the end of the thing, and his boss is like, ah, ha, ha, we are evil. Has anyone seen this girl? He's like... Well, I haven't seen her unless you count when I brutally murdered her three hours ago. <laughs> does, does that count? Just beautiful moment. And then we cut back and we see what happens. And, oh, my God, it just dramatically airtight. Beautiful moments in there. The same is true of Atomic Robo. I mean, mm-hmm. when Steven started stuffing it down my throat, I said, stop, I can't breathe. <laughs> but it, and so I stuffed even more down his throat. Yeah, luckily for you, I, I have air thrown down my throat every night, so I know how to breathe in difficult situations. But, you know, it, it, the reason that we come back, the reason that Steven incessantly pimps Atomic Robo is because it's really good. Yeah. So I think it's one of those things where they both had, they, they've secured the audience, and now this is, this is a way for them to go to that next level. I'd be interested to see how a Kickstarter for an unknown product kind of an unknown quantity would go well and that's why that's why it's interesting to just look all over uh the kickstarter stuff i mean uh, there's comics uh, uh, diesel sweeties is trying to do something right now it looks like uh they're trying to raise i don't know three thousand dollars they've already raised over forty thousand dollars web comic yeah web comic um ebook extravaganza three thousand i think as long as it's not crappy motion comics no, no, no. I think that uh, Kickstarter is a great example of um, of the way the internet works or the way the internet can work. When the internet, f- when people first started uh, getting into the internet, you know, with San- along with Sandra Bullock, they <laughs> they were like, "How do we monetize this? How do we make money off the internet? The internet's gonna kill us. Everybody's gonna have everything for free, and nobody's gonna spend any money on anything." Um, Kickstarter is a great example of how you can make money off the internet. Yeah. Um, because now with the internet, you don't need to force people to buy your products. You don't need to make them super available. You need to find a niche and then get the people in that niche who support you, who have an, uh, an interest in what you do to give you money. And they will. Yeah, especially if they're fans. I mean, Jason Calacanis, and I don't know how many people know who he is, but uh, he's kind of a big deal in the podcast and uh, internet world, uh, starting at Mahalo.com and many others. Um, he uh, His most recent email, which came out into last week, 
uh, a couple of days ago. He says the two most important startups in the world, AngelList and Kickstarter. For the past year, I haven't been able to shut up about Kickstarter. I keep pitching top directors and producers at games, uh, basketball games that he goes to, telling them that in five years, one of them will raise 10 to $20 million on the service, owning 100% of their film that they will give to the world for free or low cost and never have to deal with a studio. Uh, what does he say? It's hard to believe. Let's see. Uh, if, if George Lucas or Quentin Tarantino wanted to, they could raise 200 million on the service tomorrow, give their movies away for $5 online without DRM, $10 on Blu-ray and for millions of dollars to a cable channel and make much more money net net, uh, than they do with the studios. So he's a big supporter and I'm, I'm kind of a, a big backer of it. I don't, I guess the hardest thing in the Kickstarter campaigns that I've seen so far is creating a convincing pitch. And if we were going to do something like that with Critical Hit or Major Spoilers or something like that, we would have to create a pitch beyond just, hey, we're going to continue doing our show. Right. So, uh, you know, we'd have to sit down and, uh, you know, there's a lot of Kickstarter campaigns that fail. But here's the good thing. With a Kickstarter campaign, you can say, hey, I'm going to pledge 100 bucks uh, or 200 bucks or 5,000 bucks so that uh, uh, Orem can do a walk-in and order the stick next year. Um, and if it doesn't meet that, meet that goal... My money's safe. They don't charge my account. They don't withdraw the money until uh, that campaign has has successfully kicked off. So I think that would that's have been cool. that would have been awesome, and we should have totally done that. Is when Rich <laughs> launched his uh, Kickstarter campaign. Uh, how much? How much was the walk on roll? Five thousand. All right. So we needed. Five thousand. Twenty thousand. <laughs> well, we should. Yeah, we should have started. Oh, yeah, yeah. started. Well, they only had. They only had twenty thousand dollars, so all four characters from Critical Hit could have a walk-on <laughs> role in order of the stick. They only had one of those That's spots beautiful. open. They only had uh, one walk-on spot open. So. Oh uh, well, then we should have done it for Randis because yeah. everybody loves us some Randis. He would have come yeah. on, tripped, fell flat on his face. I rolled a one. All right, everybody, you can head over to MajorSpoilers.com. You can read about these Kickstarter campaigns, or you can head over to Kickstarter.com and uh, read about what they're doing over there. And, of course, you can read about uh, the new Batman and Robin looks over at Earth 2 or Darth Maul. If you want to know why he's returning, holy cow, it's an interesting story there. Uh, Um, We've also got Critical Hit t-shirts if you want to support Critical Hit in other ways when we don't have a Kickstarter campaign. And you might want to check out a retro review of Ghost Rider number 1. Not the first yeah. appearance of Ghost Rider, uh, but certainly nope. uh, when he became popular enough, one of those running runaway stars of yeah. the Marvel Universe of the 60s uh, and early 70s. Uh, early 70s, yeah. Uh, getting his own title right there, so you can read all about it. Majorspoilers.com. Let's take a break. When we come back, reviews. How to get a Major Spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major Spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Once again, thank you to everyone who's contributed to the show in one way, shape, or form, uh, mostly through monetary donations, although we do get some other cool things. If you head over to the Major Spoilers Forum, uh, you can check out in, I forget which, I think it's the Critical Hit Forum, you can see a lot of people creating original Uh, art. uh, Yeah, the uh, role-playing game forum. forum. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people creating some kind of cool art based on what they heard in uh, Season 3 of uh, Critical Hit. 
four against the void. We are currently in the off season. We should have the next season starting up uh, probably in another month or so. We're going to do another uh, game master session this time with Rob taking over, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. That's coming up this weekend on Critical. Wait, Hits. Rob's taking over? Yes, he is. Run, oh, run I'm for the hills! Sick. <laughs> oh, sorry. I uh, I have the plague. Let's get to some reviews. <laughs> Wrong one the there, segment. Matthew. Jack wagon, wait, let me Man, I'm telling you, if you don't get your act together, it's old man Logan for you. You know what? Old man Logan for you, mister. You shut your balding mouth. <laughs> and no iPad wait. for a week. Avengers Academy number two. I don't have plays. an iPad. Avengers yeah, you can steal your daughters. Well, my daughter can have an iPad. You can stop stealing your daughter's iPad for a week. That's your punishment. Avengers Academy number 26, please. And what of it? Oh, sorry. Avengers Academy number 26 from Marvel Comics. Now, for those of you who don't remember Marvel Comics, they're the ones who didn't reboot their whole universe. <laughs> they just Yet. do it. They just do it one volume at a time. Oh, yeah. They do it a little bit at a time. Avengers Academy uh, is the fourth Avenger book. For me, some people call it the bottom tier Avenger book, the entry level Avenger book. For me, it's the most consistent Avengers book. Mm. Um, Avengers Academy is basically the story of Henry Pym, Tigra, Quicksilver, and Hawkeye, four Avengers who know all about a need for redemption. And if you don't know why, well, I don't have time to tell you. Suffice to say, they're all effed up. Uh, taking a bunch of young superheroes who have the potential for evil under their wing and teaching them how to be superheroes. Until recently, Yocasta, who is a robot that Hank Pym made with his wife's engrams, who he later made out with, so that's not creepy at all. Made out with a robot? Has come back. Yeah. Okay. Has come back to tell the Avengers Academy that, no, she is not with them, and she does not like them anymore, and she has come to disable all of the technology that she installed. Or in other words, all of the technology. <laughs> it's actually kind of well done, and they do, f thankfully, they name-check... Wonder Man's uh, thing in Avengers and New Avengers annuals this last year, the completely inexplicable Revengers storyline, which is just, oh, God. I don't have enough invective for that story, so we're going to go back to this one. There's some fighty-fighty, as sure. there often is. Of course. And we find that most of the characters who were in the previous book, which was uh, Avengers colon The Initiative, Cloud Nine, Komodo, Hardball, Prodigy are still a part of this book's cast, only now they're working for the person who may or may not be a villain. Mm. And it's it's played pretty well because these are these are kids that Norman Osborn chose, the uh the Avengers Academy kids, because they had the greatest potential to be supervillains. Normo wanted to make these people nuts. And so the the issue plays with the question of whether the Avengers Academy kids are actually idiots. Whether they are, in fact, destined to be insane, you know, psycho villains. Right. And their future selves coming back a few issues ago didn't help either. But this particular issue goes through a lot of talky-talky mm -hmm. and a lot of discussion. And when mm -hmm. we get to the end of the issue, there's a big moment for Hank Pym where he's like, I am Hank Pym. And if you know superheroes, you know that Hank Pym is shorthand for screwed up superhero. And so the kids of the Avengers Academy get to make their decision whether they're going to stay with the Academy 
or whether they're going to quit and go work for this uh, young man who's actually some sort of uber capitalist. And we get to the end and it turns out that their future selves are happy because they're being manipulated and they may end up being evil. And the last page has a really, really, really awesome return of one of the ugliest superhero uniforms ever. And I'm not going to spoiler it, but it is simply horrendously god-awful in its awesomeness. Its majesty has to be beheld to be believed. It's not a bad issue. It's drawn by Tom Grummet, which means everybody looks 14 and has a very round head. But most of these characters are around 14, so it really is only bothersome with the grown-up characters in X-23, who is a clone of uh, that one guy, uh, Timberwolf. <laughs> and um, throughout the whole issue... The dialogue, the discussion, the endless, you know, moralizing back and forth of, no, you're right. No, you're right. Wait, you're wrong. It turns out you're wrong. It doesn't ever break down to the point where it's, you know, two Rod Serlings arguing with each other. Characters maintain their own voice. It's not an episode that has a lot of forward momentum, but it's a, mm -hmm. it's a, you know, it's building. This is chapter three of the, of the trade paperback, I think. And I think we're building to something even bigger. It's a good solid three and a half slices of meatloaf. Next issue promises uh, wacko loony ticks when the runaways return to the Marvel Universe. I don't know where they've been, been hiding. I think they may be in the Wildstorm Universe now that nobody uses it anymore. Uh, it, it's the old abandoned amusement park of comic books. The old abandoned, <laughs> old abandoned amusement park? Um, what did you say? I old abandoned twice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we, oh, we, oh, we. Uh, Avengers Academy. Uh, did they cross into Spider-Man or did Spider-Man have an appearance in the Avengers Academy? I, I forget. The Avengers Academy kids showed up in Spider-Man and Spider-Man spent an issue as one of their guest teachers. Ah, that's right. Okay. I did read that and I that's enjoyed great. that. I enjoyed that. Yeah. It was good. So They have a really cool kid named Hazmat. And I got to admit, Hazmat is awesome and her uniform is awesome. Mm -hmm. She is one of the characters who has a really good look, whereas the others are just basically guys in black pants. Yeah, Hazmat. She's the one that looks uh -huh. like wild, uh, Wildfire, right? She doesn't look like Wildfire. <laughs> she wearing a... She doesn't look anything like Wildfire. <laughs> she wears a helmet. That's oh, like okay. saying, you know, she looks like Nova. <laughs> well, yeah, she looks like Nova, too. You're just trying to passive-aggressively bait me. That's what you're... Old Man Logan! Uh, let's go take a look at some comics that are coming out in the future. I forgot to, I think Rodrigo, yours comes out a little bit further down the road than mine. If I remember, correctly. In the I think it's on March 7th. Oh, okay. Well then both of these come out March 7th. Uh, mine is Kara's magic. Number five from, uh, Aspen comics. Uh, Vince Hernandez is the writer. Uh, Carrie, Kari Randolph is the artist on this. This is a continuation of the story that we learned uh, from a while ago where magic is indeed real and uh, the evil forces have uh, ported everyone off the, uh, the, the natural plane into some weird dimension where they've been attacked by all sorts of ghouls and goblins and creepy crawly things. Uh, meanwhile, Hank, the guy who actually knows how to do a real magic is starting to see the world as it really is. Uh, he's been in contact with a druid. He's been in contact with his uh, cat that he's used in all of his performances for years. He realizes suddenly talks and he is in the middle of a mission to try and save the big uh, greatest wizard of all time uh, from being defeated by the worst villain uh, magician of all time. Who's been in this other uh, plane of existence. Uh, this issue it's uh 
This is kind of that issue right before the season finale or the uh, before you get into the final act of the season finale of Buffy. Uh, where everybody is coming together and it's a big old fight. And in this case, Hank has to learn how to teleport things from one dimension to another. And of course the Druid uh, that he's met up with is a very attractive female and he may have some feelings for her. And so they practice holding each other close as they teleport between a couple of different dimensions, all while the rest of the heroes battle the uh, villains inside of a magic castle. Ooh, exciting stuff, kids. Um, yeah, not Gun scary Lord, at all. It's 3D House of no, Magic not, Chicks. Not, uh, not scary at all. But the uh, the big upshot is Hank must teleport to another dimension to free uh, the captured wizard uh, while all of his friends fall to the floor before him. It, like I said, <laughs> it's just... It was stricken down. Yes, they the were ground. struck down. You You want this to be... You know, I really wanted some big major revelation or some big surprise reveal to happen. But it was just, hey, you got to learn to use your power. Use the force, Luke. Concentrate, Luke. Uh, stay away from Tashi Station, Luke. And I to let's get some fighting. Let's get some fighting done. And that's really what it what it is. It's it's kind of that, like I said, that last act before uh, before you get into the final segment of Buffy. And I'm sure it's all going to be resolved next issue. I think this is only a six-issue series, or maybe it's an ongoing, but I'm pretty sure it's only a six-issue series. Um, Or at least let's hope it's only a six-issue series. It's interesting enough. I've enjoyed the run so far. The art is very pretty. Uh, It doesn't, uh, even though Michael Turner uh, helped uh, found Aspen and a lot of the comics still feature a lot of his work uh, on the cover, this one has its own very unique look. It's very pretty to look at. I love the colors. You know, I actually kind of like these uh, comic books where they're doing a lot of the digital art because the colors are very vibrant and rich and uh, a lot of saturation in them, and I like that a lot, and this book has that in there. If you've been reading the series, great. This is not a book to pick up for the first time or you're going to be totally lost. Uh, And for that reason, I'm going to give it three slices of meatloaf out of five. Kira's Magic Magic number five comes out March 7th. So there you go. All right. Rodrigo, let's talk about uh, dead people running. Let's talk about chicks, man. Dead people running. The newest comic from that one imprint. <laughs> no, Dead Man's Run number two. <laughs> is a, uh... It's funny because it's not funny. <laughs> Correct. You have discovered the secret of Rodrigo's humor. Uh... <laughs> Any dang way. So Dead Man's Run, right? It's a comic about guys who die and they go to hell. And then in hell, they have to get out of hell. It's a pretty straightforward premise. Um, the, the main character is this guy who's a cartographer. And apparently hell is, in Cali- is underneath California. Well, duh. Right. So... Now that we're all on the same page, let's keep going. <laughs> the in in this issue, um, we kind of assemble the team. Um, the first issue was a lot of uh, you know, figuring out what's going on and talking to the main character. But in this uh, in this issue, we get to meet 
a guy who is all like, and then a girl who is all like, oh, the demons. And then this other guy who is like, and then the main character who's blonde. And that's that's basically the team. It is it's an interesting, you know, from from what I understand, the the idea behind this book is the divine comedy is kind of the 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 Dante's look at hell and how Dante inserted, you know, famous people that must clearly have been in hell and also people he Mm -hmm. just happened to not like. (laughs) <laughs> um and and put him in there as characters in the divine comedy right. um the the author has said that he has not done that so you will not find other comic book artists in uh greg pack uh, in uh dead man's run but supposedly the characters that you do meet do correspond to certain historical people so it's kind of the the game to figure out who's who um, which is pretty cool. I'm not crazy about the art. I think the characters' faces change a lot. Um, as far as design, there are two guys with crazy long hair and beards. So sometimes in the extreme close-ups, it's kind of difficult to tell um, who's who. Mm-hmm. Other than that, though, the design of Hell and the the demons that keep people and and uh, you know the big twist of the story which is a, a big splash page is pretty uh, of this uh, of this particular book it's pretty interesting i um i'm when when i saw what the book was about i was like going in i was like well nancy and hell sure sucked <laughs> so can this can this suck less and of course it can because it's any other comic but I was really expecting something that was a lot worse than this. And it, this is actually pretty entertaining. Um, I'm going to give it uh, three and a half slices of meatloaf art. Again, not crazy about it, but I'm interested in what's happening. All right. Well, there you go. Who's that by? Uh, what company is that by again, Rodrigo, in case people want to pick that up? Da, 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 da. This is by Aspen. Ah, so two books by Aspen Comics. All right. Oh, my gosh. We haven't talked about anything DC yet. People are just going to hate us this week. Oh, no! Your Espen bias is showing, is what they will say. You can't say that with a straight face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. All right, everybody. Can I take a moment? What's that? Go ahead. You you made an Aspen joke. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right, everybody. You can head over to Majorspoilers.com. Oh, wait. Before we do that, we've got Zach. Ah, we've got another one of our staff writers in this week to talk about Chew, number 24. Thanks, guys. This week, I am taking a look at Chew, number 23. Chew continues to be my favorite book month after month. John Laban and Rob Guillory are possibly the best team out there right now creating comics. It is a fun read every month. So this issue starts out at a butter sculpting contest that goes completely wrong when contestant Herschel Brown is quite upset that the judges disqualify him for sculpting in chocolate instead of butter. Now, Herschel Brown has a food special ability that is the norm in this book. He can sculpt chocolate that mimics its real-life counterpart. So when the judges uh, disqualify him, Herschel takes that uh, fairly poorly and takes his 
chocolate sculpted samurai sword and proceeds to hack up the rest of the judges and uh, what it looks like to be some of the contestants as well. So if you're looking for some of that blood and gore that finds its way into Chew, you won't be disappointed here. Uh, the rest of the story focuses mostly on Olive Chew and Mason Savoy. Tony only makes a one-panel appearance in this book, which I'm fine with. That's been pretty much the norm for this arc, arc so far. Tony has been slightly pushed to the side to develop the character of Olive, which has worked really well. The story has gone, uh, has been paced very well. The character development for her has been great. And we still get glimpses of Tony and what he's going through, being held hostage by his baseball fanatic captives. So Olive and Mason in this book are trying to stop an arms deal between Herschel Brown and the Russian vampires. The Russians want Herschel's sculpted laser gun, and they are attempting to stop that. Mason uh, helps Olive in this point by making her drink a cup of blood from one of a martial arts experts, because in this issue we find out that uh, paths not only can learn the past of the food they eat, but they can also take on the abilities uh, of the person they are consuming, which is another weird, disgusting, yet awesome twist that they throw into this book. The art by Rob Guillory in, in this issue is top-notch. I love his art. It is so fitting for this book that is realistic but in a cartoony violent funny way you have to reread these books more than once the his art and all of his jokes or a lot of his jokes are in the background of the panels in this we give a Paula Dean joke and we even learn that Olive has a fairly big crush on writer Rob Robert Kirkman which is always nice to see Overall, this is another great uh, issue for the Chew series. You need to be reading this. You need to go download it digitally, buy it at your local comic book store, go buy the trades, buy them all, read it. You'll love it. It's fantastic. I'm giving this issue five out of five stars. And that's it going to be it for me this week. I am Zach Wolf. I'll be back soon. And in the meantime, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com to read my reviews and so much more. Thank you so much, Zach. And remember, everybody, head over to Majorspoilers.com. We've got plenty of reviews over there as well as news. And, of course, our legendary Poll of the Week, which it is now time for. It's time. (laughs) I was waiting for you to say something else so I could interrupt you. It's not fun if I don't interrupt you for the Major Spoilers. Poll of the Week, 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 Some people really, really, really thought we were going to do another Bruce Campbell, William Shatner poll this week. But this week we're talking about Bruce Campbell versus Bruce Springsteen. Yes. This week we're talking about different methods of doing home security. And Bruce suggested that we take a look at ways we can protect our homes with weapons from video games. And no, we're not talking about big, ugly guns or the mother of all bombs. We're not talking about bazookas or cars that drive people down and kill them in the middle of the night. What he wants to know is what would we rather have to protect our home, plants or angry birds? Plants, of course, from the popular game Plants vs. Zombies and angry Mm -hmm. birds from that, um, um, what's that game, uh, the one with the birds. Yeah, the one with the birds, and they're angry all the time. Uh, I, I hate aliens. <laughs> That's it. Rodrigo, what Pig about gun. you? How are you going to protect your home? 
you know, I think that a lot of um, my my reasoning for uh, my choice has already been talked about in the in the uh, in the comments of of the poll, and 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 I ur- urge people to go to majorspoilers.com and check it out because there's some pretty funny stuff going on just right there. But the plants mm-hmm. are a security system. They already are a security system, and they're a self-sustaining security system. Right. Um, really, primarily, that's what it comes down to, is if you plant the right plants, they will continue to take care of themselves and each other and recursively protect your lawn. Um, there's butter on my head. So, <laughs> whereas the Angry Birds, part of the challenge of angry birds is that you run out of birds right um somebody had a good comment that uh angry birds would not be very good at protection since the reason why they're angry is because a bunch of pigs broke into their nest and stole their stuff already Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, i think certainly if the poll was reversed somehow and was if you were going to attack a zombie or pig stronghold would you rather bring plants or angry birds and of course in that case i would rather bring the birds because for <laughs> offense the birds are better pig stronghold is from that one episode of mystery science theater too yeah. what about you matthew dirk Hardpeck, pig stronghold uh, this was a tough one for me and i think what it really came down to is the economy of scale that you would need to maintain my house If I have, you know, at maximum five birds, I have to choose my attacks, you know, and I don't always have the knowledge that there's another wave of zombies coming or, you know, another wave of Stevens, whatever it is that I want to attack. So I chose plants simply because you can get shield. (laughs) I used to play football, but I think that I chose plants mostly because once you get your plants out, you can actually modify on the fly what you're doing. My favorite is to get one of those uh, ones that has the Gatling gun in its face mm-hmm. and put it behind one of the fire yeah, so yeah. that it's shooting fireballs, like yeah. eight fireballs yeah, that, per round. Yeah. Repeater so, and Torchwood. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Repeater and Torchwood, which, by the way, was also from that one episode of Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> we put our faith in blast hard cheese. But I went with plants simply because you seem to have more versimilitude. Not to mention the fact that if I run out of birds, they, they, they're they going to come and they're going to kill me. Whereas it would take a while for them to eat through the plants. I may be able to get into Crazy Eddie's Volvo by that point. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and complete the, uh, complete the loop here and say plants. Uh, of course plants. I mean, they just keep firing and they don't stop. And they won't stop. They can't stop. Uh, plants all the <laughs> they way. They can't, and they won't, and they don't. Stop! They said they can't, they won't, and they don't. Stop! A little Beastie Boys at 10 o'clock at night, always happy. Yeah, there you go. Let's take a look at uh, some of the other comments uh, that people have uh, posted. I'm pretty sure most of the people have all said plants, but I thought I saw uh, birds. Zach at least Mark says, I voted Angry Birds because it's a better picture. <laughs> uh... Uh, He's trolling in a John the Hutt level. says, I'm going with Angry Birds. First, because uh, they are nothing if not angry, which in my mind makes them better killers. Secondly, birds that can explode always have a soft spot in my heart. 
No, they always make a soft spot in your skull. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. My, let's see. Da, 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 da. Uh, masks says, I'm voting plants for a simple reason. My house is never attacked by green pigs. Zombies, on the other hand, a whole different story. Plants all the way. Uh, he's Maximus a mighty Rift. power. He can save the day. Zion says, angry birds. Um, I'm pretty sure that's pronounced Sean. Okay. Zion says, angry birds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> are you trapped in the matrix? <laughs> birds are not to be trusted, Scott Fogg says. Angry, happy, or big, they cannot be trusted. At the first sight of trouble, they're going to fly away. The plants need to def- uh, need to defend their ground because if they get uprooted, they die. They understand your plight and will fight by your side until, well, until they're eaten or you're eaten. I like How your did tricycle. the rest of the uh, Spoilerite Nation vote this week, Matthew? Well, a moment ago, when I clicked the Framistat, 244 votes currently in the bag. Really, really kind of a landslide, and not in the Stevie Nicks sense. I'm showing 75% mm-hmm. of our 246 votes now, leaning towards plants. Uh, Angry Birds at 25%. It should be noted that the way the question is phrased does kind of put the plants on, uh, you should excuse the expression, their home turf. It's kind of like, well, yeah, it's kind of like saying, who would you rather have rushing at your linebackers, uh, this football player over here or the guy in the hockey mask? The guy in the hockey mask may be good at it and may, in fact, have, you know, a, a machete. But, you know, you've 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 put it in, in terms to where I think it kind of leans a little bit. Either way, a vast majority of people, including all three of us fat bastards, say plants for the win. There you go, everybody. If you want to try to change those uh, statistics, those results, those percentages, lots of luck. I'm going to say, I don't think you're going to do it, but you can head over to Majorspoilers.com, cast your vote, share your comments. Uh, Please don't start any fights. We have a wonderful site, and people generally get along, except for uh, some of those people who are trouble, and we take care of them post-haste. Not mentioning any names called Steven. Yes. When we come back, Matthew will be talking about Old Man Logan. And Rodrigo and I will be talking about uh, some other cool stuff. So stick around. Ah. I resist. Hey, Major Spoilers. It's Russ Cat from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, Colin. Um, I just wanted to drop a quick comment about uh, the recent round of Marvel solicitations uh, that you posted on your site. What is with Marvel coming back from the dead? Um, I don't quite understand what possible need it would serve the Marvel Universe to have him back. Um, I guess the reason why it bothers me so much is because the death of Captain Marvel was always one of those touching stories for me. Um, It it was a serious topic. It was a good death. It was a really gripping story. Um, And I think that bringing him back from the dead really serves to dilute the power of that story. Um, I want to know your guys' thoughts on it. Does is where is this coming from? Why should he come back from the dead? Is it a good idea? Um, anyways, that's all I have for you. Um, thanks as always for what you do. Have a great night, guys. Bye. Hey, major spoilers, guys. It's that guy, Paul, that calls me every now and again. You know, I realize every time I call, I kind of say something like that. So from now on, I think I'll just say, hey, it's Paul from San Jose, California. I'm catching up still. Unfortunately, I'm still kind of behind. Not too far behind. I'm on episode 291, catching up. Hopefully I'll get to you guys before you get to the 400 episode. But, yeah. So, 
Episode 291, if you guys don't remember, I'll give you a brief reminder. You guys are talking about the Rob Grandito conversation thing. And I decided after you guys were talking about it to check it out on the internet and kind of Google it and see what the deal was. And the second listing that I found is a petition that was posted somewhere in January 2012 to bring Rob Grenito back to comic conventions. And I wasn't sure if you guys had noticed this or if you guys are talking about it or anything like that. And I figured since you guys had such passionate conversation about this Grenito guy, you might want to bring it back up and wasn't sure if it was in your attention and thought I'd bring it up. So yeah, I'm going to get back to the podcast and keep catching up. Eventually I'll get there. Keep up what you guys are doing. Loving it. Okay. A couple of questions from our listeners this week, Matthew, the first one, Captain Marvel back from the dead. Mar- and of course, if we look at the, uh, the Marvel solicitations for may it does look like yep. in your book there, your Avengers Academy, number 27, yep. Captain Marvel yep. returns. Well, somebody wearing Mars costume returns. Here's a couple of things that I will point out about this. Primarily, Captain Marvel wore uh, red and blue with gold accents. This is someone wearing green and white. That particular version of the costume, that green and white Captain Marvel costume, was, I believe, initially done by Alan Davis for a future story where Hulkling of the Young Avengers, who's actually the son of Captain Marvel had grown up to become his father's son. Mm-hmm. There's also the fact that Captain Marvel's other son, Genus Vell, who was um, Captain Marvel after him in the 90s and also had a green and white costume, uh, is still out and about, although I think he was discorporated. He, you know, we never saw a body, so he's not dead. But, yeah. I mean, come on. it, it has Rick Jones probably years. has different superpowers nowadays. Yeah, he does. Well, um, he's course, actually hooked up with Ghost Rider now. Dead is not go. dead in the Marvel Universe. Well, dead's never been dead, but it's only been a few months since the last time Marvel came back from the dead. Didn't he go crazy? Oh, Marvel I'm thinking was... of uh, Supreme. Is that whom I'm thinking? The guy that was came yeah. back and then went crazy? Found out he Burrito was a scroll? Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, well, and he, he was back in the Chaos War crossover of 2010, maybe? When they did that Dead Avengers book where Captain Marvel, uh, The Vision, Yellow Jacket, Dr. Druid, and some other schmuck all came back from the dead when everybody was dead because Hercules messed up. Mm. Anybody? No, sorry. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say you missed it, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) The other one is uh, regarding our good uh, favorite friend of all time, Rob Granito. And the petition to get him back into... Rob Granito, let him go. Let him go. Uh, The petition to let Rob Granito back into comic convention so he can sell his uh, fake drawings, claiming that they're original. Well, I guess they're originals, but they're just not the originals that he says they are. Um, The interesting thing about that... They were originally drawn by someone else. The interesting thing about that quote-unquote petition that was started, it was actually started by one of his puppet uh, accounts... Uh, that usually, mm-hmm. if, if you go and, and look up uh, Rob Granito, you will usually see one or two, maybe three people <laughs> that uh, jump to his defense and saying, oh, no, he's the greatest, kindest person in the world. One is his wife, mm-hmm. and the other one are some dummy accounts that uh, various people are we sure he down. has a wife? 
Hi, uh, you know, Jessica I think Rich Johnston uh, to talked to her directly on the phone. So uh, if uh-huh. I remember that story correctly, so I'm pretty sure he does. Yeah, I think we should have been tipped off by the fact that this person who's defending him uh, goes by Grob Renito. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you, everybody. If you would like to call in and contribute to the show, all you have to do is contact us at the Major Spoilers Hotline. Matthew, that number is... Nine, no wait, seven, eight, five, seven, two, seven, nineteen, thirty-nine. The major spoilers line. All right, so let's talk about a web comic called Wapsy Square. Way back in the day, it's got to be oh, I want to say like two thousand two, probably. Uh, one of my students said, "Hey, I saw that you uh, read this uh, web comic and this web comic. Have you ever thought about checking out this Wapsy Square?" And I was like, "I don't know if I'm ready to really have the time to start into another." webcomic that this one's already had only at that time been around for a year, but I quickly started reading the story and quickly got hooked. And now 11 years later, um, Wapsy square continues its run. It's a weekly webcomic at Wapsy square.com, uh, following the adventures of Monica, her best friend, Shelly and three golems and, uh, the crazy supernatural adventures that they all share. There are six collected volumes. This uh, series continues to go, uh, go. And if you don't want to go and buy the print uh, volumes or the electronic PDFs, the complete run of Wapsy Square is still right there up on the website that you can start reading and going through page by page. And I'll say this up front, uh, in the collected editions that we're reviewing tonight, uh, the formatting of the original strips has been changed to conform to the page. And, and and I only say that because as we get into maybe some elements of the story, there are times where uh, Paul Taylor, Paul Taylor, excuse me, um, actually uses the confinement of a web space to create suspense. Because in order to catch that final panel or the big reveal, you actually have to scroll left or right or up and down on the page to see that that shocking moment that most of those shocking moments occurred on a Friday, which got everybody in a tizzy over the weekend, only to have it uh either dropped or story changed or uh, resolved Monday morning. So that's the only one bad thing about the uh, collected editions. Mm. Uh, So uh, Monica is a uh, girl from Mexico. She's a curator at a museum in uh, Minnesota or Minneapolis. And um, she's got a collection of friends. Yes, exactly. Um, And, over time, you know, the the very beginning, it's just a lot of little short bits, relationship bits about, oh, who loves who and, you know, your kind of slice of life kind of stuff. And then suddenly one day Monica is setting up for an exhibit and she uncovers the Aztec god of alcohol. And Rodrigo, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. Topaz? I think, I think it's so. I think it's a uh, top testicle. <laughs> You don't think so? I, no. <laughs> I, I I think it is like top top tes, testicle or tes, We'll call him Ed. No, okay. uh, let me see. Tops the kettle. But, da, da, da. Yeah. I don't actually remember what it is. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that is kind of 
Well, this, this is this is something that we'll go into as I get into it. But it's kind of glossed over in that when we first see him, there's no explanation of who or what he is. When he is named, I think he's named once, and then all of a sudden he has a, a nickname mm-hmm. for the remainder of the first volume. Right. Which I think is like three years worth of strips, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So, I mean, that that's problematic for me in that characters show up without being identified or named until later. Yeah, and in but, this yeah, case, it seemed like kind of just this little one-off thing where he just shows up and he's uh-huh. like, hey, let me get out of here. Where can I go, uh, you know, explore the world or do whatever? And she sends him on his way, and it is maybe close to a year later because he's tasked with returning every year to give her a gift uh, that we find out that he is the god of alcohol and, and the magical powers that he has. And then he sticks around, and we get introduced then later to uh, these three golems that once... Um, comprised a uh, a chimera a chimera uh, creature uh we get introduced to those three creatures and their supernatural beings and then things just get really wacky we start looking at end times we start looking at the uh, uh the mayan calendar and and uh it just gets uh, it just gets interesting and yet all along the way we still mm. see relationship stories we still see uh boob jokes sex sex jokes and uh, and uh, whatnot so talking dogs Talking dogs. Uh, he doesn't actually talk, but he's very, uh, he's yeah. very uh, humanized. Expressive. It's very expressive in his actions. Yeah. In the early days of uh, Burke Brothers Bloom County, mm-hmm. we run into, you know, characters who are clearly animals, yet they're, they're not animals. And right. in that setting, I'm kind of like, okay, well, this character is a penguin, and that kind of makes sense. The dog thing bothered me here. Because it's very early on where she's like, oh, dog, call, call my friend. I've blinded myself. Right. I'm like, why? How is the, what's the dog going to say, first of all? And they, they play with this naturalism where he seems to be a dog. Mm -hmm. He's a very smart dog with very human tendencies and that's fine. But there's that line of, I guess at the point that he's introduced again, there's that line of, I don't necessarily know the rules of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we get this talking dog or this, you know, dog that's, that's obviously of human intellect who is a character and it's weirdly not played with. It's like, we're playing with this and all of a sudden, okay, he's just a dog. And then, you know, he pees on the snowman. It's a very dog like moment, but He's that that is he a dog? Is he a character? Is he a character who happens to be a dog? That never to me gets a, a satisfying explanation or answer. And I, and I don't think it really is meant to. I think it's 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 really kind of there as a comedy relief, mm. you know, kind of moments because there are some pretty intense moments where we're talking about uh, this series looks at suicide and uh, demonic possession and a bunch of other stuff. And then here and there, you've got a dog ordering a pizza and getting the hot pizza girl to deliver it to him kind of moments. Mm-hmm. And so it's, yeah, it's that, it's that moment of, of levity that, that we get. Um, you know, for the first year, I really, I think Matthew, there's the story just kind of, I mean, there are parts yes. in this entire series and we're only going up to volume four today. Um, but there are parts mm-hmm. where this entire series drags, but that's because it's a weekly series where you are cranking out a story. Uh, at one point, I think he was only doing it Tuesday, Thursday, then he went Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and now I think he's doing it every day. Um, but you know, you're, you are just because of the nature of I'm telling the story three times a week in three panels that the story is going to kind of drag out in bits and pieces. 
And so there are times where things get really interesting and then all of a sudden you're sidetracked onto another side story that may take a month to resolve because, again, you've only got three panels to tell the story. You're getting through basically one page of comic over the course of a week um, that it that it does kind of slow down. But I mean, as far as taking you out of that, that uh, I don't know if you're if you're thinking it's this area of disbelief. I mean, here we've got Monica, who's this four ten girl uh, who's got a head bigger than, you know, her whole body. Well, except her breast. She's got enormously large uh, breasts and she's got a tongue that's probably four feet, eight inches in length. Uh, So, I mean, there's all sorts of of these aspects in the story that ask you to suspend it and just kind of go along for the ride in this in this cartoon world. It doesn't really so much ask it. And that's, you know, that's where I get into the I think probably the first hundred pages Mm-hmm. are kind of you know slice of life this is vignettes and this is what's happening right and it doesn't necessarily it, it doesn't tell me it doesn't ask me it's just sort of it's it's like i'm hearing a story mm-hmm. about about characters that i'm only half familiar with or right. my wife telling me about all the people in her workplace who are doing whatever right it's it's something where i don't necessarily put two and two together and there's there, there is a huge improvement and a very fast improvement and change in the art and the style of mm-hmm. the art mm-hmm. in those first couple, you know, probably the first 30 pages is just amazing. But uh, my major, my major concern about the book, and at one point in one of the, uh, one of the opening, the introductory paragraph, somebody says how wonderful it is that the artist draws women of different heights and different sizes and different builds. And I, and I said to myself, yes, that is very wonderful. Because these women have exactly the same faces, and if they weren't different mm-hmm. heights with different hairstyles, I would have no way of knowing, and in some cases still don't yeah. know who's on panel. And, and sometimes, especially if you, you know, and, and I'll admit there was a time from probably the last three years where I've drifted away just because my day's so busy that I don't have a chance to get around to the regular uh, daily web comics that I read, and the current storyline that's going on. I'm not sure I know who the who the character is at the moment and what's happened to that character and why this character is exhibiting uh, these supernatural uh, tendencies and who the guy is. And, you know, you're right. There are a lot of the same facial features. But then, then again, mm-hmm. uh, there are a lot of, of comic strips. I mean, Peanuts is kind of that way uh, where a lot of the characters have the same head uh, with different hair, clothing, etc. Now, in the case of, of Wapsy Square... The clothing style changes dramatically, and uh, the art style changes dramatically after that that first year. Um, mm. You know, I, I wonder, Rodrigo, because as Matthew said, over this first volume, and really uh, the first volume, I think only covers two thousand four through two thousand seven, so it doesn't even cover the stuff that was going on in two thousand one, um, mm. where you're just seeing these characters, and you're seeing the stories of these characters. Um, is it confusing or does it, is it one of those things that, yeah, after about the first 30 or 40 strips now finally starting to get into a groove and when they're talking about, um, you know, uh, Shelly or when they're talking about, uh, Catherine or when they're talking about, you know, some of these other characters that we've, that we've met, a uh, Darren, the bartender, we're like, oh yeah, I know who that guy is. Right. I, I wasn't I wasn't too thoroughly confused by it at the beginning. Certainly um, 
because usually things about a particular character come up immediately after a strip involving that character. So that, that wasn't too bad. And, and really, once you get into any new, uh, work, you know, of, of media of any sort that has multiple characters, um, you're going to have that where all of a sudden, you know, if you're watching the, the first episode you've ever seen of anything, Torchwood, and somebody goes, where's that one guy? And you're right. like, oh, is that like the, the, the kind of posh guy with the, that dresses really well? Or is that like that other guy that's only a character in this episode? Oh, yeah, yeah. I know who they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're always going to have that. And, you know, if you read a little bit of it and then go back and read it again, You'd be like, oh, that's who they were talking about. Mm-hmm. I think really huge deal. the story really kind of kicks off when uh, uh, the Aztec god of, of alcohol suddenly uh, snaps his fingers and three drunken college girls appear. Gin, Brandy, and mm-hmm. Bud, uh, the three golems that we later learned were once part of a, a, of a chimera. And all this time monica you know with the magical powers uh i'm going to just call him tepaz uh um, mm-hmm. that's i think what i call him uh you know she kind of questions her sanity is he just is he for real is he made up because as the story starts to progress and we start to see jen brandy and bud interacting with monica and we start to see their supernatural powers manifest we actually find out that there's a legitimate reasons for her questioning her sanity because at one point when she was very young she was put into uh, an insane asylum or she was committed because she was talking to the ghost of what she believed was her dead great grandmother. And mm-hmm. she tried to kill herself. And those spirits and those ghosts are still haunting her. Um, she then becomes instantly tied into a much bigger picture of what's going on with uh, the three, the three Gollum girls. And I kind of like how uh, Paul has picked his pick the names of these characters because here you have bud who is this uh, blonde headed girl uh who looks very uh midwestern and she mm-hmm. kind of represents that kind of alcohol that bud beer that very common uh look that you're going to come up with and then you have brandy who's very dark and uh special and then you have gin and depending on how uh, brandy you know is very dark and, and special and then you have gin and depending on how you make the gin there's different levels of how that gin comes across, different flavors that you put in. And what's interesting is, as Taylor tells the story, at least for me, as Taylor tells the story, their names actually kind of are related to their characters. But is, for the most part, this very, I don't want to say generic, but average character uh, that you're going to find of these three. Brandy is as we find very single-minded in her, in her way and, and how she defeats or helps defeat, um, uh, the, the calendar clock. And then Jin has all these different levels to her that you have to peel away slowly in order to appreciate the character overall. Thoughts, Matthew, on, on any of these three likes, dislikes. I, I think that my, my major dislike is probably going to be my, my repeated complaint and here's, you know, here's where it comes down to it is one of them looks almost exactly like our main character without context. And, you know, since they have that blonde hair, I get to that point where I'm like, OK, uh, this this is a very similar character. And I started getting distracted. 
And we're getting to the point where we're analyzing these characters and we're breaking them down. But I'm not given a reason to want to like them before I start getting into that, you know, that deep explanation where they're telling me about their likes and dislikes and how vinyl is better than CD. There's there's kind of a disconnect for me between here is a character and this is what you're going to need to know about them. And here's a character and this is the way this is the thing you're going to really like about them this is what draws you in Mm -hmm. at that point in time i'm like here's three more characters in a book where i already have four or five people rotating around right and you know you we're we're dealing with i can i can deal with okay we've got you know we've got a miniature god and we've got the dog with the inhuman stuff so you know we're dealing with something that's not straightforward this is not like you know people walking up and down the street and having a merry worth discussion and i'm good with that and now we have three new characters and there's well, three very heavy-duty, nuanced characters. And I'm like, mm-hmm. come on, cut me some slack. Give me something. Give me some story for these people to do. They spend a lot of time telling me, or rather telling each other, what they need to do and what they're going to do and who they are and who they want to be and who they should be. There's a lot of telling and not a whole lot of showing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, appreciate, I can appreciate that. I mean, that's a, that's a big criticism is there is there's not a lot of show. And again, given the nature of a web comic, sometimes it takes a long time to get to a punchline, uh, especially if it's serialized. You know, you can't always have a family circus kind of event. Um, on the other hand, when these three appear, Rodrigo, that's when we start dealing with this longer story arc or this bigger story arc of what is the past history of these characters? How did they come to be? And how does this relate to the end of the world? and gods from other dimensions and forgotten civilizations. Right. We, uh, all of a, all of a sudden we start getting into the, this world that Monica is already a part of, although she doesn't necessarily realize it. And, uh, we start delving into really the, the joint past of everything supernatural that shows up and the main character and eventually some of the other characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, we get introduced had- to, uh, Tina, who's a local barista who just so happened mm-hmm. to die on the day that Monica tried to commit suicide <laughs> and her best friend, Shelly, who is also involved in, um, you know, the supernatural. Right. Life. She had a, yeah, she had a, Tina has she had friends. something supernatural happen to her on that same day as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know why Tina has fangs <laughs> because in her car accident, oh. it's explained in her car accident. When she okay. hit, she slammed into the back of the bus uh, 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 Monica had jumped in front of the bus to kill herself. Actually, she was trying to mm-hmm. run away from, uh, uh, these spirits that are tormenting her throughout the book. And, mm-hmm. um, the bus slammed on its brakes. Tina's car smashed into the back of the bus. Her face hit the steering wheel and the windshield knocked out all of the front teeth. And then when she went to the dentist to get them replaced, they actually put in some goth chicks, um, fangs, uh, that the goth girl wanted installed and she was just too embarrassed, or that's what she claims, uh, too embarrassed to to have them go back and fix them. I think it's also um, it's a device because mm-hmm. all the supernatural characters have fangs. Yeah, like all the golem girls have fangs, um, and uh, fix. The you know, when you, even even when you when you first start exploring the the barista, she. You don't know that she's supernatural yet, but she has fangs already, so you know that mm-hmm. eventually Something's they're going to reveal up. some. Yeah, 
Yeah, and that was you know that that was actually well done for me. Mm-hmm. Was that identification of the fangs? Because there's there's a very peculiar thing that he does with noses, especially noses when the uh, face is on. in profile. Mm-hmm. When the face is in profile, it's especially neat. But he'll do the thing where you can't tell the difference between the characters' noses head on. But as soon as they turn in profile, you've got like this completely different skull thing. And I feel like if the character design, you know, earlier on, because by, you know, by the time you're at book four, you have characters where you're like, okay, this is very clearly, you know, getting to the point where it is. But at that point, I'm also 500 pages into the story, which is a little late for me to be being able to finally tell the difference between the characters. But he does some fascinating things well, with, you know, profile shots and facial mm-hmm. shots throughout that that fourth volume. I think the the other thing too, Matthew, and I think maybe I I, I don't know, you're not a regular webcomic reader, right? I mean, you don't um, go out of your I way read, and read PvP or um Penny Arcade PvP. or any I read, on uh, a regular basis or you don't. Well, I don't I don't read books day over day. What I do is I'll, you know, I'll check in every month or two. PvP, Penny Arcade, of course, uh, Order of the Stick, uh Ménage à Trois, I will read every once in a while. It it's something where uh, I'll all of a sudden remember, hey, you know, I haven't checked in on the really hot French mm-hmm. check for a while. Mm-hmm. Well, so, I mean, it, I tend to read these in, in fits and starts where I'm like, I'm going to read a big chunk of it. Right. Uh, Sinfest is another one. I'll read, I'll read like mm-hmm. three months worth of Sinfest every three months. Well, Sinfest is a perfect example. And, and so is, is PVP, especially with uh, what Scott Kurtz has done in the last, oh, I want to say three months with his style. The style of the art mm-hmm. has changed dramatically both for Sinfest and for PVP and Wapsie Square over time. So here's Paul Taylor, who really has a passion to try to do art and try to, to share it with the rest of the world. And so while he's working uh, part-time or full-time at night, he goes home and draws, and we get you know basically that first year of style. And then he starts to become more committed and starts to realize what kind of story mm-hmm. that's happening, and his craft improves because he's doing it sure. two, three, five days a week. And suddenly we get into mm-hmm. this part where we're into volume two, volume three, where suddenly the character design is totally different because Monica from the first time we meet her to Monica of the time she gets a, a pick stuck in her head, um, totally different looks. And it's a dramatic, to me, it's a dramatic improvement, even though we can look at body proportions and we can look at profiles and, and front shots and everything and, and just say, oh my, look at, uh, you know, how different that is. You know, reading a webcomic over time and even then going back and, and and looking at it from, you know, 10 years later is a fascinating look to see how someone's style has evolved. And I think t- Taylor's style has evolved tremendously and improved greatly since those those first strips, especially, oh, absolutely. When, especially when we start getting into the really creepy supernatural stuff where we're introduced to. Uh, doubt who is a, a demon that a demon that uh, haunts Monica and really causes her to you know question her sanity again and and creates all the doubt in her head and there are some very spooky creepy panels uh that Taylor draws up uh to where it's not again boob and sex jokes to where it is uh something that that's not entirely boob jokes no uh that does they get you on the know. edge of your s- seat and say oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's what I'm, I'm wondering if you're kind of experiencing that is I can't tell the, who they are. Well, yeah, it's maybe it's his first or second year of, of drawing. And then by year 10, he's knocking it out of the park. 
<laughs> I will definitely agree that uh, the later volumes are pretty phenomenal. By volume four, there's a lot of fascinating work in the tones and the backgrounds, mm-hmm. the facial expressions, even though, and, and I will say this again, even though it's the same face on everybody, the range of facial expression that he gets out of his one face is pretty, pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot, it's never in question what the character is feeling or what they're dealing with, even in those earliest strips. I think that my usual lament of the first volume is not necessarily the best place to start is very true here because kind of like that moment where I felt like I had to start with the Cimarron before I got into Tolkien, those first 160 pages of volume one drag yeah and and, and, and it's only because they're collected in in that way really the point there's probably a handful of strips in that uh first half of that first volume that are Mm -hmm. worth reading just to get some character uh development points uh what really Mm -hmm. happens is in that second year when uh tepaz returns and the golem girls show up and that's when things start to kick into get more interesting the art gets better the story gets better and and we move forward and and Rodrigo, what what do you want to share with story points as we move to uh, end of the world and stuff? Um, I mean, a lot of time is spent on the Golem Girls, just sort of their uh, them coming to terms with living in modern society and working out the. Uh, their issues, you know, being basically immortal, coming from a different era, having their life start basically by being uh, tortured and raped mm-hmm. um, and trying to move past that in a modern context while also there is magic. Right. The um, at the same time, though, we keep getting these indications about this this clock that's counting down to something. And we later learn that it has to tie in with the. uh Mind calendar and in, in uh, 2012 end of times and um, this clock that seems to reset itself every 1450 years and nobody remembers the clock resetting and people redoing a lot of the same things except for Jen and we find out her story about how she's an immortal and uh, maybe even a god herself and that she just wants to set time right so it can continue to move forward without tripping back. Uh, every 1400 years and we find out in the course of this that she's done this 56 times and so people begin to question her sanity you know she's been doing this so many times she's starting to lose starting to get things mixed up starting to you know misremember things she's stressed out about doing this so often and she and her mother in a way are both responsible for getting Monica and Shelley and the and and Tepaz and mm-hmm. and really all these central characters into Wapsi Square into this to this region of of Minneapolis where they're all going to meet because they're all central figures and so yeah Matthew by the time you get into that fourth volume now you're finally starting to see where everything merges merges together and things are starting to make a lot more sense but it's a long road to get there yeah it is and it's 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 a road where I think when I when I get to the payoff, 
I need to have a payoff that makes me feel like, you know, going through the, the tall grass to get there was an intentional decision on the writer's part. It was, you know, something where we're going to give you just a little tiny bit and you're going to be in this weird situation and you're going to figure things out. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily feel like that's actually what happened, at least in the first two volumes. I feel like we started with one thing. And, you know, it started out being kind of a slice of life romance in the city strip. And then it mutated and he found something that he really liked doing. And he found, you know, an edge. And by the time we get into the whole thing about the clock, I'm, you know, I'm at the point where I almost kind of resent. And again, Part of it is the the way that I read it, the the 350 pages that I've spent getting to the point where we're starting to kick off. Yeah, now, but if I told you to start it, reading chapter four, your complaint would be, well, I don't know what's going on. Oh, I don't know about that. I like jumping into the middle, but I would well, say that regardless if it is or it isn't, he's saying he went to 300 right. pages. Right. And the story doesn't kick on <laughs> right. until 300 pages in. Right. right. And that's, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily an indictment of it. It's something where. For me, when I'm reading this particular book, it wants to be several different things. It in itself is a chimera and it wants to have, you know, it wants to have that deep literal meaning and it wants to be kind of, you know, kind of a hipster type book and it wants to be a lot of things. And when I'm in the middle of the book and I'm having issues telling the difference between, say, you know, Jin and uh, the girl who nearly fell off the roof when she was drunk. That makes that makes problematic for me to try and think, okay, now wait, hang on, this is the other person. So I, I, I think that part of it is the packaging. The beginning and end points of the volumes that I've read are particularly random. There's one, I, I believe it's book two, just sort of ends in mid-sentence, where they're, they're having a discussion about something. I think they're having a discussion about uh, audio. And it, it ends with a character saying, nope, I don't care. And then all of a sudden we're done and we're on to the next volume. I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of, I think that that, that worked against it as well. So I think some editing in the way the packaging was put together, especially yeah. in those early volumes would, would help yeah. a lot. And, um, and I can, you see know, that. if we're looking at the point of, if we're looking at the point of completism, absolutely. I love seeing the, the evolution of style from strip number one. Mm-hmm. And I love getting into the point where you're, you know, you're in the second volume. All of a sudden it's, oh, my gosh, look at what he's done. He's really evolved that style and taken that basic and had some fun with it and made some, you know, some differences in how he's going to show who's weird, who's magic, who's not. Mm -hmm. You know, it it really is impressive. As you move forward, I mean, the style has evolved even more uh, when you get into like the current stuff. To where, you know, Shelley now suddenly does have these massive forearms, which you learn you knew early on she was strong and that she worked out, but isn't yeah. until he updates the characters and cuts her hair that you suddenly yeah. realize, holy crap, she has got this huge she, uh, these huge out of proportion yeah, she threw arms. A car engine across the room. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and that part that makes sense to me because that is something where I start being able to tell the difference between Shelley and Jim. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. You know, it, and it, that's that's an important thing, and that works towards that character design. I think if these, uh, specifically, if these volumes are are trying to be something where we want to catch that new reader, we want to show them 
this is what Wapsie Square is about, and this is how you're going to come in. And yeah, you can go back and go through our archives and read everything, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. But I feel like these are books, these are collections for the people that are already fans. Right. And they're not they're not designed to be accessible no. At no, the first, it, to the first person walking in the door. They, they really aren't, and I would agree with you there because these are published through Lulu Press, so it's Taylor just collecting all of the webcomics and packaging them up for fans. You're right, it's totally for fans. If I were to go back, mm-hmm. like I said, in that first volume, there'd probably be... Uh, maybe 20 or 30 pages of stuff that I would pull out um, to make, you know, to to do the setup. Uh, And then, you know, there are moments with uh, some of Monica's friends that while they're interesting, really don't tie into the big overall story of, of stopping the clock. I mean, the, uh, the photographer that she's good friends with, uh, we have whole arcs of her and her relationships, and it's just like, well, you know, those really don't tie in at this point to, you know, the bigger story. Chop those out. I agree. Um, you know, in in a webcomic collection, eh, you know, there are a lot of completists out there, and that's why, you know, we have Fanographics and IDW putting out, you know, the complete Popeye and the complete uh, Bloom County and the complete um, – um, What's the other one? That's the the big one. The, the complete peanuts. Peanuts. Yeah, a lot but of even those, those start man. with a foreword that says, "Here's you know, here's your main characters, and this is 1955, mm-hmm. and this is what they're doing, and like that, right? Right. And without without that context, without you know an expectation going in that, you know, this is something where, depending on how you are exposed especially to a comic of this nature your first experience is going to make you a fan mm-hmm. going to make you love it or it's going to do what it did to me it's going to make me feel like there's so much going on here that there better be a really really big payoff coming and if that payoff is you know so far in the future that 600 pages into the book I'm still waiting for that big payoff it's it you know it it engendered some resentment yeah, oh, not I necessarily that. towards the artist himself, but right. I think towards the way the way these are packaged mm-hmm. specifically, but also towards you know where where am I? What's my what's my what's my big deal here? Is this the the story of the magic girl? Is this the story of you know the girl in her universe? Is it Opus the penguin and the wacky people around him? Is it Charlie Brown is a loser and everybody points and laughs at him? You know, I I I don't really feel the center especially at the beginning, was fully fully mm-hmm. cooked, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Rodrigo was the big payoff, at least as we got up to the um, the big shut down the machine in volume four, where, you know, they've discovered all of these little trinkets. They've activated the way to shut it off. Everybody's coming to the conclusion, and suddenly Shelly, Monica's best friend, is pl- plunging a big knife into the top of her head, sucking all the demons into another dimension and freeing Jen's mother and ultimately turning off the machine. Is that, is that a good payoff? Was it finally satisfying when we got to that point? Uh, yeah, it, it was. And I think a big, a big reason for that is, uh, basically the, it's because the, the, the book, the, the work actually focused on that for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, uh, all around, 
I didn't really enjoy the 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 Wapsi Square experience that much, and and it's basically for two reasons. Um, one, it it's basically trying to do two things. It's it's trying to be friends and it's trying to be um the X Files for mm-hmm. lack of a better sci-fi fantasy thing. Sure. Um and although it frequently does combine the two, a lot of the time it just bounces back and forth. We take big chunks out of the story to go see the her photographer friend deal with her cat. And then you get basically nine chickweed lane episodes of that cat. Right. You know? Um and then we and then we go back to the machine that resets the universe storyline. And it's it's a little jarring. The other thing is that um and I see that with a lot of web comics. And you know, you mentioned earlier that with a webcomic, you might not get the punchline until much later. Mm-hmm. I think if you're reading a comic, a webcomic, in which you don't get the punchline until more much later, that webcomic is doing it wrong. If they're mm-hmm. using that comic strip format, the mm-hmm. whole point of that format is to have that punchline. Eventually, right. Wapsy Square moves to a thing where it has, it's clear that it has entire pages. That were released together as opposed to a comic strip format. But that takes a long time for us to get to that point. And even Mm -hmm. then, it continually returns to that comic strip format. And I feel that that's something that is actively working against it. That story with the golems and the end and reset of the world and the demons living, living inside the main character... And then getting passed around to other characters. There's a lot of cool exploration of this world's fantastic stuff uh, or fantasy, you know, the, 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 the mythology of this universe. Sure. But I think, I think that it is a lot of the time. It's like, it's like Wapsy Square is this movie in HD that has awesome special effects and an awesome story. But I have to watch it um, with a like with eclipse glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the the way that I'm absorbing this story is actually actively working against the story. And by the right. time we get to that end, I was exhausted. Oh sure, yeah, 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 yeah. No, you are. And and again, you know, I understand where you guys are coming from because you're reading this all in one go. I'm coming at this from someone who's read it for ten years. Uh, better part of that uh, 10 years, not the entire 10 year run, but you know, basically the entire time that it's been published, I've, I've been following it on a regular basis. And yeah, there are times where, Oh, it's Wednesday. I got to go over to the website and I got to see what that next installment is. And then there are times where, you know what? It's been a month. Let me go back and read the last month's worth of, of strips. Um, so I, I, I'm, you know, there's probably a little bit different experience in how we've all approached the material. Uh, that I can see how plays into your perception, uh, or your thoughts yeah. of that material. So I, sure. that's totally valid. Uh, one big question for you, Rodrigo, a lot mm-hmm. of Spanish. Yes. This is your big, uh, this is, this is Rodrigo's, uh, corner of the major spoilers universe. This is mm-hmm. where he is the expert. 
How'd they do? Awful. No, oh, uh, it's going to happen. When when maybe, I know that it's bad Spanish, it's yeah. Maybe not awful. They actually do get a lot of stuff right. A lot of stuff that you wouldn't that I personally wouldn't think that somebody just randomly trying to translate things from a dictionary would get right. But they still he still doesn't do a complete job. There are things that are incorrect. Um there is um kind of subject verb agreement issues, um, appropriate verb usage issues where, you know, you have, you know, like to be in Spanish is two separate verbs, depending on the context, for example, um, and using the wrong one. And really one that is kind of, to me, I don't know, pretty unforgivable is uh, uh, gender agreement. You know, mm. where you use mm-hmm. the male male adjectives for a female and vice versa, you know, right. obviously accidentally. So, yeah, no, the the Spanish in it is not is clearly not by a native speaker. And again, you know, I'm like, oh, I just realized this character is Hispanic. That's kind of cool, mm-hmm. um, you know, because you kind of don't realize that until probably a third of the way through the first the volume. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't really come up. Right. Um, and then she goes to visit her family in Mexico, and I'm like, oh, no. I hope there is. Nope, there it is. Okay. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, and it, there, the the point where she meets she meets her aunt, and the Spanish is there, and I said to myself, well, Rodrigo's not happy. Yep. Because when I know that, this, that, the, that the verb tense is funny, and that if you've ever heard me speak Spanish anywhere on the show and you're a native Hispanic speaker, I'm real sorry. I, I apologize. I, you know, I am from Kansas and I learned my Spanish from a woman named Sharon, but yeah, that, that's not the, that's not the, the killer for me. It's the fact that she is Hispanic and the girl that she looks just like is supposed to be, uh, Asiatic and the other girl that she looks just like, you know, is, is supposed to be of a different ethnicity. And it's just, you know, they're literally the same face on every character. So two, uh, two, two the against and one for is what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I, I say go read it. Read it in I, fits and spurts. Go and just go and read it when you get a chance. Go back into the archives, pick it up as you go along. That's that's my point. I, I like it. I really enjoyed it. I finally was able to get my hands on some original art, which he rarely puts on eBay, and when he does, it gets snagged really quick. And I just got a yeah. ooh, five or six pages uh, that came in nice. the other day that. Uh, really uh, is my webcam on uh yes so here is um i'll just show you guys real quick a particular panel i'm not getting an actual image but yeah it's oh okay um so here we have this scene where and again uh it's uh, shelly and monica i guess are going to a spa and in the final panel on the website it's all shaded in and it's got a steam effect going on. And when you look at the original art, mm-hmm. it's just the ink. It's just the, it's just yep. the lines. And so he's, his style, it's really improved. And I really like how his style has changed over time and how he's using more of the mixing, the traditional and the electronic, uh, forms together. So, but both yeah, of the art is definitely it. the selling point. I think that, um, the, the art and as you get into it, like I said, the art is remarkably evocative. It's very emotional. It's very 
you know, in ways it's cathartic to read what the characters are doing. People get drunk and you're like, that's a drunk person and they're having fun and that's kind of cool. Right. And then you get to a point where there's a there's an exchange where they're talking about and I, I actually don't remember who it is. I believe it's uh, Monica and someone talking about the doomsday clock and how it is now a useless device. And she said, but you're saying it's a useless device. And the person responds, yes, I am telling you it is a useless device. And this is almost verbatim the way the conversation goes throughout the whole thing. There's so much explanation and so much exposition that when we do get to the exciting bits and we're like, yeah, that's really well drawn. And that was kind of, you know, a nice climax to all of this. And the, the, you know, the timing may have been off, but I like that bit. And then we spend 10 pages talking about what just happened, explaining for those of you in the cheap seats, what just happened with the device. So definitely I would say yeah. I'd be happy to have some of his original art. The art's pretty good by the end. Right. Rodrigo, any final thoughts? Ah, uh, yeah. I, you know, again, there's a there's a cool story in here, but there's a lot of extra stuff to go with it. I actually, um, before the show, I uh, told my girlfriend that what we were reviewing, and she started laughing. Um, so. I, I asked her why, and she's like, well, it's weird. You guys don't read a lot of webcomics. And I used to be into this webcomic, but then I got really bored with it. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, me too. But the funny thing is, is that it was the reverse for her. She was really into the central perk, you know, yeah. characters hanging out together, being cool hipsters in the Midwest. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden it got crazy and magical. And she was right. like, well, I'm not into this stuff. And I think that's the main problem. When you get right down to it, my problem with this is that it tries to do two things and simultaneously tries to keep them separate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like you never you, you, you can say, hey, remember that episode of Doctor Who where Captain Jack, he trades Captain Jack's gun for a banana? And then he's like, pew, pew. I was like, oh, no, it's a banana. And the doctor's like, then the bad guys come in and the doctor's like, well, you should still hold on to that banana. And Captain Jack is like, why? And the doctor's like, it's an excellent source of potassium. <laughs> right. That was also the empty child. That was that thing. But it, you know, in, in, in that sense, it was an episode that had action and comedy. And a lot of the right. time, Wapsy Square just gets this giant cleaver and cuts the two in half. So you can't get both things at once. Yeah. Again, I, I feel that there's an, there's an awesome story in here, but there's a lot of stuff that you have to get through. And that awesome story is one half of the book. The other half is an also another awesome story about friends coming to terms with each other. But the problem is the two stories are working against each other. Fair enough. All right, everybody, uh, that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening, being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at the Longbow Hunters. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you real soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com, and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers.
Fat Dick's revision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers It's copyright 2012 Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.